Mini episode 1134 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1134. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here with one of our favorite analysts from the world of sports and uh, a guy who watches, I've said previously, uh, probably more football than just about anybody I know at all levels of football. And uh, here's a little bit of a sneak preview. 11.35 is going to be talking about the XFL and getting into things uh, with that. Uh, He, of course, is an expert on that, going back to the first incarnation of the XFL. I use that just to reinforce his bona fides, uh, because today we're talking college football. But yeah, whether it's college, whether it's high-level pro, low-level pro, whatever it is, this guy watches it. He is an authority on it. We've done our college football preview with him the last couple of years, and it is always a great one because of his unparalleled depth of knowledge when it comes to these things. Good friend, Franz Stuckberry, from such fine publications as OurSportsCentral.com. He is covering football uh, wide and far these days, uh, based down in the Triangle in North Carolina. Fran, a pleasure to have you back on the show as always, my man. How are you today? Uh, thanks, Rick. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you. Yes, it's, uh, it's always wonderful to get into these things with you here. And uh, we always make sure that we hit uh, all the major conferences, some of the other parts of the college football landscape as well. And uh, just looking at some macro-level issues before we do that, um, we've had some things in the last year or so with the transfer portal, with the things that have kind of flared up with that. We talked off air about alcohol sales, and uh, I'm kind of cynical about that, about colleges getting their teeth sunk into that and wanting to get their... Uh, their, their share of what's going on rather than having it out at the tailgates there. So what are some of the major issues you're looking at coming into this season? Um, well, the, the biggest issue is, will we have a little more parity this year, or, or are we going to see Clemson and Alabama again? Can a team finally step up and get to that championship besides either of those teams, teams Mm-hmm. Well, my, my guess is it's going to be more of the same. There are teams that are capable of doing that. And we'll talk about that as we go along, but yeah, I mean, right now I'm like everybody else. I'm looking at the chalk, especially especially with the schedule that Alabama has. It's not that strong, right? Right. They've done everything they can to try to set themselves up for it again. And uh, in terms, yeah, I was almost shocked. I was almost shocked that they put. They're actually going to play a game at Wisconsin in a couple of years. They yeah, never, they never do that. Yeah, imagine that. They. Uh, it's it's strange that they would exert themselves to that degree. Although uh, I'm sure it's going to be a warm weather game, God forbid they ever play a cold weather game up north. But uh, in terms of the conference layout here, let's start with where you're at. Let's start in your own backyard. You are firmly ensconced in ACC country, the ACC Coastal Division. We saw the team that is, if not the prohibitive favorite, at least the strong favorite, the Miami Hurricanes, uh, playing the other night and coming up just a little bit shy against Florida. 
But uh, you've, you've got them in a division where I see the two Virginia teams as being right behind them. And uh, to, to me, some of the teams that are in your backyard are a little bit further back, Carolina and Duke. you got Mac Brown coming back to Carolina this year. A lot of interesting storylines, but Manny Diaz in his first year in South Florida, he is at least expected to win the division, is he not? I think he is, and, and the way he played against Florida, it was a little sloppy at times, but that defense is very good, and that turnover chain is going to be used a lot. It really is. It really, really is, and that's uh, it's a thing where they have, I think, a fairly decent lead over the rest of the division. How strong of a favorite do you see them as? Uh, I, I, I see, I see them as a, as a, um, as a favorite. I think I was kind of surprised they weren't even in the top twenty-five when the season started. Right? Yeah, they uh, they are a strong program. Uh, that's really kind of, I mean, they're not nearly back to what they used to be, and they may never be, but they've been. You know, clearly, I think the second best program in the conference the last couple of years. You look over in the Atlantic Division, and uh, I think we can already pencil in Clemson uh, for uh, the ACC championship, if not the playoff this year. But Syracuse behind them. Syracuse was a team that I picked a year ago. I thought was going to be a little bit of a surprise, and they had a nice breakthrough. Florida State. They're they're trying to uh, forget about what happened last year and keep climbing back. And then you got NC State, Boston College, and a couple of other teams behind them. Louisville. They made a nice coaching hire, I think, from App State, but they got a long way to go to climb back. So uh, let's first start with Clemson here. How do you see them shaping up as uh, one of the two prohibitive co-favorites in the country? I think hands down they're going to be the team to beat, but they might stumble one. They might stumble on one game. Keep an eye out on the weeks when they play at Syracuse. That might be a stumbling block for them. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but it's going to be a close game. Yeah, Syracuse has been kind of a headache for them uh, in times past, and. Uh, uh, speaking of the uh, Orangemen, there you got them. You got the Seminoles right behind them. I would think, in, in my estimation, NC State, which is a program that I know you see a lot of. How do you see the next couple spots in the division shaking out? Well, the thing is, uh, the, um, the week one in college football, it's a big game for Florida State, Boise State. If Florida State loses, that's gonna that can really spiral the season in a bad direction. If they win, it'll give them confidence to play better and move forward. Absolutely, and uh, it can't go worse than the early season game they played against Alabama a couple of years ago, losing their quarterback and basically being the beginning of the downfall of the entire program, uh, culminating in Jimbo Fisher leaving and going to Texas A&M. But, uh, yeah, the ACC, uh, just on the surface, it sort of looks like the more things change, the more they stay the same as far as that conference goes. Yeah, Rick, Rick, as far as teams in my area, North Carolina, NCC, Duke, Mm-hmm. It seems like right now, with, with all the changes and, and, and coaching changes and personal changes, if, you, if, if all those teams go six six and go to a bowl game, I think all the I think all the, 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 the fan base will be happy for all three. And I think that's reasonable expectations for each of those teams based on where they are right now. But uh, again, you look at what looks to be a lot of kind of stasis when you're looking at the ACC, and uh, some would say the same. With the SEC coming into this season, uh, let's start in the West Division. We talked about Clemson, one of the co-favorites in the country. The other one, of course, would be Alabama. Yeah, Alabama is just uh, hands down the uh, hands down the team to beat in that, in that division. When you look at this, uh, I mean, let's let's start from the bottom up, and in my mind, kind of start eliminating uh, candidates here. Arkansas, I think everybody would, would would pretty much place out of the conversation. To a large extent, also Old Miss and Mississippi State. Then you start to get to the mid-tier. Uh, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M. I've got A&M actually in second place. So I've got Jimbo Fisher making a jump up this year. 
Uh, th- there seems to be a lot of thought that if anybody is going to give Alabama any kind of a nudge in the conference, it might be LSU, even though they've gotten dominated by Alabama so many times in recent years. So when you're looking at the teams that are quote-unquote right behind Alabama, how do you see some of them shaking out? LSU will have a good season. I mean, their offense has, has, has always been improved. Uh, I mean, but some of some of the other teams, South Carolina, they have one of the, the, the tough schedules in the country with both Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson. Yeah, I mean that's pretty hard to deal with. And uh, when you're looking at the SEC East, that's the reason that a lot of people, including myself, have them right near the bottom with Vanderbilt because it's an unforgiving schedule. Uh, you, you've got a very interesting crop there because you've got Georgia that a lot of people still feel sort of head and tails above everyone else, and they may be, but a very interesting tier behind them, and it'll be interesting to see if any of these schools can give them a run for their money. Florida, who came out of the gate strong, at least with a W, over Miami. Uh, Missouri, which is a program that's uh, really been up and coming the last couple of years. Tennessee, I say this as a Vols fan. Uh, I, I liked what I saw in year one of the rebuild uh, last year with the new coach. And then uh, Kentucky, where Mike Stoops has been doing a very nice job. They get pummeled a little bit in graduation, so I have them a little further back in the pack. But uh, what are some of the interesting storylines when you look at the SEC East? Well, talking about Missouri, though, they got uh, transport to California. But the big thing about Missouri is, Right now, right now they're, they're banned from a bowl game. The NCAA, they feel that, and they decide in a couple of weeks, if they lift the bowl ban, they'll be motivated to play better. If they don't, they may, they may, not, they may not be as motivated to play better. That's very interesting. But, yeah, motivation, you're absolutely right. It's going to have a lot to... Uh say about it and uh, we may be talking about Georgia a little bit later in the show when we get into the uh, the playoff but I'll just ask you for right now there is at least a little bit of a gap between them and Alabama they've lost to them the last two years two years ago in the national championship game last year in the SEC championship game but uh, what are you looking at here I I see a program where I think Kirby Smart has really really closed the gap on Alabama and I'm not going to say that they're at their level quite yet but if you're looking for teams in the country that might be able to take Alabama out of the mix of being in the national championship game, Georgia, to me, is on a very, very, very short list of those contenders. What do you, what do you think when you see the Bulldogs? Well, the Bulldogs, um, they, have, they have a good offense. I mean, the, the starting quarterback is back. I mean, it, and that's quite an whole entire chain of, of, of transfers with uh, Justin Fields and, and Jacob Easton went to Ohio State and Washington. Yeah. Well, that's that's true. You uh, you recruit a lot of top level guys like that, and uh, you are going to be vulnerable to being poached in the uh, transfer portal, no question about it. Uh, moving across the country here, from east to west, uh, let's look at the Big Ten and uh, the Eastern Division has been the pride and joy of the conference the last several years. Uh, down towards the bottom, Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, none of them really figure to register much. Uh, Michigan State, almost sort of a consensus pick for fourth place at this point because they don't appear to be on the same level as the big dogs this year. They have their up and down years under D'Antonio, and sometimes they surprise. So it's possible they could rise above that. But the way I've got it is Penn State 3, Michigan 2, Ohio State 1. And again, that could pretty much be in whatever order at this point. Uh, the, the, the two major storylines seem like they're going to revolve around the conference's historic powers as Jim Harbaugh, after what was supposed to be the make-or-break breakthrough year of a year ago, couldn't get it done. 
he'll be pretty much out of excuses if they can't get it done this year. And then Ohio State at the top with Ryan Day in there. And it'll be interesting to see. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to keep the program moving along. One of my biggest questions was recruiting. But it looks like the machine just kind of kept going the same way that it usually does. And if, if you keep giving him the top-level star talent, I think he'll be able to get a lot out of them. But that's how I see the conference uh, East shaking out. Uh, what do you see when you look at the Big Ten East? Well, Michigan is on, on paper is a favorite, but they have to prove to me. What's the last time they've won a meaningful game? They're 1-9 and nine against top ten teams. What's the last time they've beaten Ohio State? I mean, they've, they haven't had quality. They have to prove to me. All the hype and all the hoopla. And, and let's, let's say this, um, how embarrassing would it be if, if they lose at Ann Arbor at the end of the season with the first-year quarterback and the first-year head coach to Ohio State? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I know that was a rhetorical question, but I'll answer it anyways. They lost, uh, Ohio State did to them in 2011, but the last time Michigan beat Ohio State with a full-time Ohio State head coach was 2003. Remember, that was the year of Luke Fickle. Ohio State was in complete disarray. I think they went 6-7 and seven that year. Uh, it was it was the, the year of fallout after uh, Jim Trussell was fired, and basically the one year of disruption that this program has had since the end of the John Cooper era about 20 years ago. So uh, Michigan, yeah, if, if they want to prove that they, they're still relevant, uh, time is running out and they got to do it this year. You look at the West, and uh, again, uh, I've still got Illinois at the bottom. Uh, it's, it's a competitive division, even if none of these uh, teams are real superpowers right now. It's a measure of the strength of the division that I have Northwestern, Purdue, and Minnesota towards the bottom of the division. At the top, I've got in this order, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa. There's a lot of people talking up Nebraska as though year two is going to be a real breakthrough year for Scott Frost. A lot of people are saying that might be the case. They really underperformed expectations a year ago, and those expectations may have been unrealistic because of the talent base that they had there. But Wisconsin and Iowa, they're always in it every year. So uh, in terms of the uh, Big Ten West, what's, what's your assessment of the state of these programs? I think Nebraska will definitely improve and be better, but I, I, I'd have to go. I'd have to go Wisconsin, especially with the running back they have. That's um, uh, in, in the old days would be a high trophy candidate, but this year now after now they give the highest quarterback every year. Appears. Yes, I would agree. He could be the second coming of Ron Dane as far as being a decorated Wisconsin back. But uh, you know, like you said, those kind of uh, you know plaudits when you're talking a Heisman seem to be uh, referred unto uh, only quarterbacks these days. The Big 12 uh, here, they do not, of course, have divisions yet at this point. So uh, in the bottom part of the conference, I've got both uh, Kansas schools. I think it's going to be a tough time for West Virginia to be able to regroup with a new coach and really getting poached by graduation this past year. Oak State, Texas Tech, it's a competitive conference because Towards the top in the first division here, going 5-4-3-2-1, I've got Baylor, TCU, Iowa State, Texas, and Oklahoma. I think there's a very good chance that we see two Texas-Oklahoma games this year, and uh, certainly one for the championship would be very special, very memorable. But uh, in terms of the Big 12, they have uh, the Sooners have really kind of set themselves apart in recent years. Lincoln Riley has done what Ryan Day will try to do at Ohio State, which is to keep it seamlessly moving in the right direction. Do you think that he'll be able to as far as uh, cruising to another Big 12 title? I think so, especially with the addition of Alabama transfer Jalen Hurts, who does have a chip on his shoulder. When he lost the job, when he, when he lost his own job to 
tool attack with Yolova. I think he wants to show people that he can win outside of, of Alabama, that he's capable of being a winning quarterback. I think he is, too. Uh, do you see anybody else in this conference being able to give him a run? I mean, Texas has really been getting to the level people expected out of Tom Herman. They've been ascending. Iowa State, it seems like every December and January, Matt Campbell is a hot candidate for uh, bigger coaching jobs or even NFL jobs. Uh, he, he somehow managed to be in the rumor mill for both the Buckeyes and the Browns this past offseason. Uh, TCU, they're, 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 anytime Gary Patterson's there, they're automatically relevant. Are there any of these teams that could really make Oklahoma sweat? Texas has a chance. They have the talent. They have the coaching. It's just not about uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough for them to win twice. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they win the first game in Dallas, but when, when the chance comes around, uh, it'd be hard to it'd be very hard for them to be all home twice. I completely agree with you about that. I think they could give them a run for their money. And again, uh, if they play twice this year, those games have a chance to be classics. Moving to the Pac-12, to me, one of the most interesting divisions in the country. And again, there's the commonality. I had said this about a division previously where none of the teams are really kind of superpowers, but it's really kind of interesting. I think I said that about the uh, Big Ten West. Uh, but uh, the Pac-12 South, I've got Utah in first, Arizona State in second, uh, and then UCLA, USC, Arizona, Colorado behind them. But uh, you're, you're looking at, and again, uh, a make-or-break year for Clay Helton at USC, year two of Chip Kelly at UCLA, year two of Herm Edwards at Arizona State, uh, a chance for Utah to really kind of solidify themselves at a, a high level. So. Uh, it's it's a really, really interesting jumble of teams that are not among the tippy-top in the country, but all are very good to whatever degree. But uh, what's your assessment of the Pac-12 South? I think Utah is a team to beat. Uh, it's really kind of wide. It's a little kind of wide open. If, if USC has a bad season, Clay Hunt's going to be fired. Yeah, he, he is. He is. And the, the Vultures are circling already uh, with that situation. Uh, I know that, again, there been a, there's been a change in athletic directors in recent years, so it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but they've fired the coach in season before. Is there a potential scenario where Clay Helton doesn't even make it to November if things start unraveling? Only, only if they go into November with a losing record. If they go into November with a losing record, then he'll be gone. I would think so as well, because expectations are very high for that program. In the Pac-12 North, it's very interesting as well because there's some good depth there, but I think certainly more uh, concentration of power at the top. Uh, I've got Oregon State, California, and Wazoo sort of working my way up the division here, but then from there, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. So I've got Oregon as the uh, conference champion and the, uh, the winner of this division uh, but I think Washington's going to be right there with them. You could never count out Stanford. Uh, they are a, a perennial power. What Mike Leach has done at, at, at Wazoo year in and year out. So the uh, the North uh, is is another division that is really filled with intrigue. Well, I'm going with Oregon to win, um, to, um, to uh, win that win that division. But the big question is, Rick, uh, is one you have Oregon, Auburn, in, in Texas, and it's and it's Oregon loses. That can uh, that can open up the door for maybe having the two SEC teams in the Final Four. It very well could. Yeah, that is that is one of the most important games that is being played by a Pac-12 team in years because 
you have to earn back that respect on the field, and uh, they, they have to do that. It's incumbent upon them, and uh, there's, a, a, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars at stake uh, because right now uh, the Pac-12 is judged as guilty until proven innocent uh, when it comes time to setting the, uh, the playoff every year. So that, that win is a must. Well, Rick, I mean, uh, the Pac-12 lost to the Tulsa already. They lost to Hawaii. Arizona lost to Hawaii 25-38. So, I mean, they, they, they're not beat. They're not beat teams. Arizona was an 11-point favorite. They're not beat teams that they're supposed to beat. That's true. Yeah, that doesn't bode very well for them, uh, certainly as far as the, uh, the result. And uh, when you look at the, uh, the other conferences here as well, these are some of my predictions going around the country. In the Sun Belt Conference, I've got Appalachian State over Arkansas State. In the AAC, Cincinnati over Houston, Conference USA, Florida Atlantic over UAB, Mountain West, I have San Diego State displacing Boise State at the top, and in the MAC, yes, it's the breakthrough year, your Ohio University Bobcats over Toledo in the MAC championship game. Uh, any any thoughts on the quote-unquote other five conferences, Fred? Well, the other five conferences, I mean, UCF, I mean, they can have a great year, but they're never, they're never gonna uh, uh, get to the final four. And the problem with them is, Rick, you they're not willing to schedule two game, two road games, one home game against top quality teams. Right. They can, they can play all they want, but if they're not, if they're not willing to be flexible. Then nobody should, nobody should give them the credibility that they want. Right. You gotta be pragmatic. No question about that. And uh, there's been a real dearth of that on their part uh, in recent years here. So. The uh, overall predictions that I have for the season here, this is is how I have it shaking out as far as the uh, New Year's Six Bowl games in the Fiesta Bowl. I've got Texas over Notre Dame, Orange Bowl, Ohio State over Miami, Peach Bowl, Oregon over Florida, Cotton Bowl, uh, Michigan over Central Florida. For the playoff, here's what I got. Rose Bowl, Alabama over Oklahoma, Sugar Bowl, Clemson over Georgia, National Championship game, once again, Clemson over Alabama. Uh, thoughts on the Big Six and the, uh, the playoff uh, for this year, Fran? Well, that's interesting that you have you know, two SEC teams there. We'll see, we'll, see what, we'll see if that happens. If teams lose, like if Washington gets knocked off, Oregon gets knocked off, it could happen. But, it's, but I, I think if there's a one-loss one Oregon or Washington, they're going to get one of those spots. Very interesting. Well, yeah, I've... I've got Oregon as the Pac-12 champ not making it. I've got Ohio State as the Big Ten champ not making it because I think in both cases, neither school is going to emerge unscathed through the season. So I'm predicting a little bit of a, uh, a middle ground type season for Ohio State. There are people who are thinking, and I think there's some justifiable reason for this, that particularly if Fields comes in strongly at quarterback as he's expected to, that Ohio State will be right there in the national championship mix. I think they may suffer a loss or possibly two in in the Big Ten campaign, but still emerge as Big Ten champions. And uh, I look for that from Oregon as well, just because uh, the Pac-12 has rarely sent anybody to the national championship game. I think the last time was Washington, and they didn't fare so well against Alabama. So, yeah, they're, they, these are conferences that are kind of feeling the squeeze. And I'll tell you what, the ACC and the Big 12, there but for the grace of God, because if the ACC didn't have Clemson, they'd be just another conference. 
If the Big 12 didn't have Oklahoma, they'd be just another conference. But both of these schools have risen to that level in recent years, uh, and, and they've been teams that have been able to uh, get into the, uh, the the college football playoff, and I look for them to do it again. Well, one thing, Rick, we need, we need to happen is we need some of these other teams to step up. You know, I, I, mean, I think people are getting tired of seeing Clemson Alabama every year in the championship. Let's, let's get Michigan to step up. Let's get Oregon to step up. Let's see some, a little bit of parity. Yeah. I, I don't want to – I mean, I, 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 it's a good matchup, but I'm tired of seeing it. Yeah, it's really something, and, and it's been a very, very surprising development in a lot of ways. Number one, because the history of college football hasn't lent itself to this because – I understand that this is the, the, the first couple of years of the playoff area, but, but prior to that, the BCS, the approximately, what, 15 years or so that that was going on, when they efforted to match up number one and number two, look, Alabama and Clemson, if they had both been at that level, or if any two schools had been at that level, this same thing would have happened in the BCS era, except you didn't have two teams that year in and year out were head and shoulders above everybody else. You didn't have it when you look back through the history of football as well. It was There would be an oligarchy going back, but it would be a number of teams in the mix. It would be uh, Alabama and Notre Dame and Texas and Ohio State and Michigan and USC, and it would be sort of a grab bag between these schools. And back to when they were doing the championships in the polls, and sometimes there would even be split polls for the national championships. We had co-champions a lot of times. So it's interesting because there might be some people tempted to blame this on the playoff, but it's coincidental in my mind. It just so happens that the playoff came in at a point in time that's unprecedented in college football history when two teams elevated themselves above everybody else as much as these two did. Well, when you have one of the best pro prospects of all time with Trevor Lawrence for this season and probably next unless he tries to go to court, Things not going to change. Alabama might. You know, I, if, 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 if from the two teams, I can see Alabama taking a step down before Clemson does. Yeah, very possibly because you wonder about how many years Saban has left at that level. And again, Kirby Smart is nipping at his heels certainly, and uh, Georgia appears ready to become the next Alabama, so to speak, uh, in that way. But it's a thing where when you look at these two teams. Yeah, you're just waiting to see if anybody else can jump up and, and, and get it done in here because I, I think there's a lot of uh, what you're talking about here. I think there's a general sense of being people being sick of seeing the same thing come up here. And that was a thing where when they played the national championship game in the Bay Area, they really kind of paid the price for it because it was soft ticket sales they played outside of a core college football area. And uh, in the Bay Area, they're not going to necessarily swarm to a game just because it's supposed to be important and the media tells them it's supposed to be important. It's not a natural college football hotbed. And I was even hearing that like the local news was only sporadically covering it in the weekend leading up to the game, which is almost unheard of because you would think that an event like this, a local area hosting it, it would be such a big damn deal. Uh, when uh, Cleveland had the All-Star game this past summer, justifiably, it was all over TV 24-7, but the national championship game couldn't really get a whole lot of respect in the Bay Area, and that's part of it. I think it's the confluence of not playing it in a college football hotbed because uh, they had put in the high bid for it at Levi Stadium, and uh, they're going to go where the most money is. And like you said, people being sick of the matchup here, so it'll be interesting to see because governing bodies in sports always sort of react to the landscape of what happens. I'm not, I can't necessarily think of anything off the top of my head 
that would level the playing field at all between those two and the rest of the field. But you better damn well believe the NCAA is going to be looking for these things if this season the interest suffers because of people getting sick of those two. Well, that's the thing, Rick. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Things with Clemson, I just don't see any of the teams getting to that level that they are at. In the SEC, you have a lot of teams that can real, that can get there over the next year or two. You have A&M, you have LSU, you have teams that can get there that can that can in Georgia, you have teams that can get there to get close to that level. But who in the AC is going to ever get, get to the level of the Clemson network? Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of those things. But again, though, Clemson and Georgia, and I realize that Georgia is is merely like a rich man's version of what they were under Mark Rick because they still haven't won a national championship. But Clemson and Georgia were teams that were always strong teams but could never win the big one. That, the, the, the verb Clemsoning used to refer to that, uh, that they would fall apart against either Florida State or somebody else along the way. And then Dabo Sweeney basically helped kind of take them to the next level. Kirby Smart, when he gets to Georgia, takes them <laughs> to the next level because he was such a strong recruiter for Nick Saban at uh, Alabama. And that's kind of the same thing that we're counting on with uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee uh, is him being able to do the same thing. So, theoretically, you're always just one strong recruiting coach away from turning a program around, and maybe things will look different two years from now, three years from now, if Georgia joins the mix, uh, Tennessee, anybody else with any of these coaches that are able to kind of break through. But, yeah, for right now, the sport is in a tough position as far as competitive balance. Rick, let's just hope in a couple months when we're doing a book preview, we um, we have a change of tune. But one thing I did want to discuss, um, independence. Look for Army to have another good year and give Michigan all they can handle week two in Ann Arbor. Oh, boy. If, uh, if Michigan really sweats in that one, you are really going to hear uh, the war drums coming Jim Harbaugh's way. So that that's a real clip-and-save prediction on your part. Uh, any other thoughts about this year's college football landscape? I mean, I mean, so, so far, a little bit happened in week one um, with, with, Florida, with Florida and Miami. It had one of the highest rating, rated games on on, uh, on ESPN in three years. Like, almost, almost 5 million people were watching. People, people watch football any chance they can, even in week zero. So yeah. I, I, see more, I see more teams trying to play a week ahead just to you know, get that exposure and to be on that platform. Yeah, it, and it was really interesting to get to watch, and uh, just it was good to have college football back for those two week zero games, no question about it. And uh, it will be another fun and eventful season. I will be attending some games in person, as I know you will, and it'll be interesting to catch up with you come bowl time here when we're looking ahead and doing our predictions there. Fran, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, dropping by today, giving us your expertise on this college football season. I'm very happy to be on, Rick. Appreciate it. The great Fran Stuckberry, everybody, from Our Sports Central and other fine media outlets. Again, thank you, everybody, for joining us today for FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1134. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL 
Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.